So I want to draw your attention to the, the uh, outline sheet that uh, should, there should be outlines on your table there. If you just take a peek at it, so it's probably it's maybe a little long there, but there's some quotes in there that I, I want you guys to actually be able to look at and see with your own eyes. You can see in the sections, after each section, there's a section for application. See, the idea here is you're actually going to pick up a writing utensil and write down application as you think about this talk by way of application to yourself. That's the idea there. We, want, we don't want to be a hearers only of God, God's word, but doers as well. So that's the idea there. Let me, let me pray and we can, we can dive in here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to take this moment now to give you thanks and praise um, because you are praiseworthy. You are the all-sufficient, uh, all-knowing, all-powerful, a good and gracious God. And Father, we thank you for this opportunity even now to uh, gather together as men, to enjoy good food together, to enjoy fellowship, and even to consider your word. Father, even as we consider this topic of envy, just pray that you would uh, soften our hearts to receive your word. Father, convict us where we need to be convicted. Uh, cause us to grow. We want to become more like Christ. I pray for any man here who do not know Christ, Father, that you would be pleased to uh, convict them of their sin, of their standing before you, a holy and righteous God, as even being under your judgment. And Father, that you'd be pleased to save them by your uh, powerful grace. So attend us now by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so we've been doing this, this, uh, this study for these men's breakfasts on the, Malefic Malefic the Maleficent Seven, <laughs> the Seven Deadly Sins, and the topic of envy has been given to me. So we're going to be covering envy. What is the sin of envy? Well, in his allegorical poem, The Fairy Queen, that's an interesting title, a 16th century poet Edmund Spencer depicts the seven deadly sins as seven different men, each riding on an appropriate beast. See, he says this, Sloth rides on a lazy donkey, gluttony, a filthy pig, lust, a bearded goat, greed, a laden camel, Wrath, a fierce lion, and envy, a ravenous wolf. The envy is a ravenous wolf. That's at least the beast or the animal that envy rides on. Pride rides in a chariot that is pulled by the other six. So we could say that pride is, is the fundamental foundational sin of every other sin, as it were. Now what is, so, so, if envy rides atop a, ra a ravenous wolf, what does envy himself look like? Well, this is the, des the description given. He is depicted as a man with cankered teeth, chewing on a venomous toad, poison running down his jaws, and hiding a deadly snake close to his chest. So what is being demonstrated by this, what we could call this grotesque allegorical picture? What is being demonstrated here by this picture? Well, envy is characterized by a vicious and aggressive posture towards others, while all the while being inherently self 
destructive. It's a self-destructive sim. So to further flesh this out then, you can see in the handout, I've sort of laid out a roadmap for how we're going to go about this. You can see, first of all, uh, envy defined, what is it? Second, envy's source. Third, envy's manifestations. Fourth, envy's fruit. And last, envy's cure. So that's sort of the roadmap for where we're going. And uh, I hope this makes sense as we, as we progress through. So first of all, envy defined. What is envy? What is envy? Well, according to Merriam-Webster, I think you might have this on your hand out there, Merriam-Webster defines it as this. The painful and often resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by someone else. Similarly, dictionary.com, one of their definitions puts it like this. The annoyance and ill will toward others that is prompted by their superior advantages. So what can we see from both of those definitions? Well, it's, it's advantages that others enjoy that you do not, that is in view, right? That, that gives rise to envy. So interestingly then, I had to think about this a little bit. I was helped by some of the sources I, I looked at, which I'll, I'll make reference to. This can be distinguished from covetousness um, like this. So I can covet my neighbor's nice car, for example, right? In that I want that car. I'm envious of my, of my neighbor himself because he has that car. So, so, so my envy then is directed at the person himself rather than the object in view, if that makes sense. So I can envy him and the enjoyment that he gets then from owning that car. That's a bit of a distinction there between coveting and envy. So, so envy seems to be directed at the person himself. That's what I'm arguing. If you think this is a forced distinction, I think as we dig, uh, we dive into scripture here, uh, I think it'll become clear. So it's been said then that uh, envy, quote, can't help being unhappy at the blessing of others, at the blessing and fortune of others. She seethes as others succeed and even secretly smiles when they fail, end quote. That's Joe Rigney from uh, his chapter in the book Killjoys, put out by Desiring God on the seven deadly sins. So while Romans 12, 15 commands us to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, this is the way Joe Rigney puts it. He says, quote, the envious person weeps at those who rejoice and rejoices over those who weep. See how it's been flipped around there? It's a very sinister thing. Well, to close this section, and this first section, just by way, again, by way of application, can I ask you then, how do you respond to others because of advantages or blessings that they enjoy that you don't? We're going to be doing a little bit of heart surgery here in this talk. How do you respond in that way? This could be as simple as something like this. I'm thinking of some of the boys here, younger boys. My boy's in the bathroom right now, one of them, so he's missing this. Um, 
This could be as simple as your friend having a Connor McDavid rookie card, but you don't. I was going to ask, we're all Oilers fans here, right? <laughs> Go Oilers. <laughs> The, the, the Flames fans are envious of the Oilers fans right now. <laughs> so it could be something like that. It could be that someone you know enjoys better health, right? A better job, a better marriage, or even the fact that he is married, right? So, so there are a myriad of ways then that envy... Um, there, there are a myriad of ways to envy, and if we're being honest, we've all envied in a myriad of ways, right? If we're being honest with ourselves. Well, I would just uh, put this to you, brothers. Before the face of God, before the face of God, this is not good. It's not good. It is a deadly, soul-destroying, joy-killing sin. That's what envy is. So again, to close the first section, envy is defined as the painful and often resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by somebody else. But what about envy's source? Where does envy come from? Point two. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ in Mark 7, 15 says this. There is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And later on in verse 21, he says, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within, and they are what defile a person. So it's been said that the heart of the problem, then, is the problem of the heart. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. That is the sinful human heart. Many of you guys know Jeremiah 17, 9. What did Jeremiah say? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Or just consider the Apostle Paul's words from Galatians 5. 19 to 21, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So the heart, the human heart, is desperately sick. But what about the circumstances then that give rise to envy in the human heart? What circumstances give rise to this sin? Well, if you're a dad here, you've experienced this many a time. What, what's something that your children um, very quickly figure out to say? That's not what fair. And what's the response? Life is not fair. <laughs> Life is not fair. As sinners, we're allergic to seeing other people enjoy things that we don't have. Are we not? We're allergic to that. 
one of the mantras of our day is disparity is discrimination. If you guys have heard that. Disparity is discrimination. In his book, Hit List, I think this is going to be the book recommendation too. It's going to be, we got one to give away, right? In his book, Hit List, Taking Aim at the Seven Deadly Sins, Brian Hedges puts it like this, quote, The envious person thinks that all goods, whether the pleasures of life, material prosperity, or natural endowments such as brains, beauty, or opportunity, should be equally distributed to all. I think you got that quote on your handout. Now, having, having quoted that, some of you guys, are, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> um, lest we think it's only the woke mob that thinks like this, and we pride ourselves by the fact that we can see the evils and incoherence of communism, right? That's what that statement sounds like. I would suggest that that's actually a lot closer to, to our own hearts than we might want to admit. How often do you take issue with a disparity that you see and you say, that's not fair? That's not fair. So brothers, we need to become better acquainted than with the sinfulness of our own hearts. If you're not a Christian here today, you just need to know straight up, your heart is desperately wicked. Your heart is desperately wicked. If you are a Christian here today, you need to be reminded that, that the Lord is changing your heart. But you're at war. You're at war. You're in a war against remaining indwelling sin that needs to be put to death. So just ask yourself then, when you are envious, are you able to recognize it for what it is in God's sight? Or do you almost instantly start manufacturing justifications for it and excuses? So make no mistake, man, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. That's envy's source. What about envy's manifestations? Well, Hedges in his book uh, suggests there are four components to the sin of envy. I think this is uh, helpful. I think it's in your handout there. Uh, so these four components are comparison, criticizing and complaining, ingratitude, and hatred. So we can see this then in the example of um, King Saul and David. If you're familiar with the story of, of King Saul and David in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 17, shortly after King David is anointed to be king, what does he do? He slays Goliath, right? So he's this, he's this up-and-comer, and Saul actually appoints him as, as a chief over the men of war shortly after. Saul recognizes something in him. At that point, wherever David goes, as, as he's successful wherever he goes, the, the hand of the Lord is upon him. And after returning from battle at one point, the women of Israel, they come out to greet King Saul, and what are they singing? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. David his ten thousands. Well, this, of course, was too much for King Saul. And the text tells us that Saul eyed David from that day forward. 
Saul eyed David. We could call that the envious eye. The envious eye, 1 Samuel 18, 9. Well, as many of you are aware, that this, this was sort of the start of the downward spiral in King Saul's life. Envy got a hold of him, and it literally destroyed him. There was increasing fear, paranoia, irrationality, and hatred of David. So when you read that passage from 1 Samuel 18 on, all the way to the end of 1 Samuel, David is running around as, as Saul chases him around. He wants his life. Ultimately, Saul's envy led to an irrational insanity, demon possession, and death. That's what we see there. So I think in that example, you can see that this fourfold process of comparison, criticizing and complaining, ingratitude, and hatred. So let's just consider this. Even the fact that Saul was um, king at the time, he became aware that King David had been anointed as king. Why did Saul, if he was, put it this way, if he was more concerned for the well-being of Israel and the glory of God, he would have rejoiced to see the Lord raise King David up. Would, would he have not? He was consumed by envy. Well, I would suggest that recognizing envy in people like King Saul um, is fairly easy, actually. It's fairly easy. Actually, a brother in the lineup here was even reminding me of uh, Cain and Abel. I mean, that would be another biblical example right there, right? Cain killing Abel because he is envy, envious of him. But again, just to bring it back to us, can you identify an area in your life where you might be envious right now? Envious of someone else's success, life situation, income, accolades, gifting, fill in the blank. There's a whole host of things you can put in there. So brothers, beware of this. Beware of this sin if left unchecked. Hedges in his book, Hit List, he shares a fable of ancient Jewish origin where an angel visits a shopkeeper known for envying his rival. This angel offers to give him whatever he wishes, but warns him that his competitor will receive twice as much of whatever he asks. What would you ask for? The shopkeeper thinks for a moment, and then he asks to be blind in one eye. <laughs> well, self, such is the self-destructive nature of envy. But I want to look now uh, at another manifestation of envy that is perhaps more subtle than we've looked at so far. We've thought about King Saul, Cain and Abel. I think there's a, there's a type of envy that we see in the scriptures, and I think in our own hearts, that is perhaps more subtle. To do this, I want us to flip to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. Look 
at Psalm 73, verses 103. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So the psalmist here is envious of the wicked as he sees their prosperity. What does he mean by this? Three verses 4 to 9. For they have no pains until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell up through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Well, here the psalmist is envious of the wicked because they seem to get rewarded with prosperity and luxury, and they seem to be immune from consequence. In his thinking, this leads the psalmist to declare what he understands to be an infallible truth. Look at this declaration in verse 12. He thinks he's right here. Look at verse 12. So I'll tell you three, verse 12. Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease, they increase in riches. Have you ever felt that way? When you see the wicked? Especially in our day? You see the prosperity of the wicked? They seem to be immune from consequence. I think for some of us, this type of envy, envy could be the greater temptation and sin. Now, I don't want to get overly political here, but I can actually think of an individual who seems to perfectly fit what we see here in Psalm 73. I'm not going to mention any names. I'll just say his name starts with T. And rhymes with Rudo. <laughs> you can maybe piece it together. Behold, this is what I feel when I see him. These are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. Look at this further declaration from verses 13 and 14. Again, this is what the psalmist is wrongly thinking. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. So, so the psalmist's envy is actually exasperated by the fact that although he fears the Lord and walks in his integrity, he is the one who suffers. He's essentially saying, what's the point? What's the point? All in vain have I kept my heart clean. Well, I'm going to leave that hanging there for now, and we're going to return to Psalm 73 later. But for now, we can see that envy is manifested, again, by comparison, criticizing and complaining, ingratitude, and hatred of others because of an advantage or privilege that they enjoy and that you don't. And furthermore, as we've seen, 
It can even be manifested as an, as an envy of the wicked. Something we're going to trace back around to later. But what's envy's fruit? What's, what's envy's fruit? What, what does envy result in? You can see on your handout there, you've got Proverbs 14.30. Look at what Proverbs 14.30 says. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. If you remember the start of the talk, we saw that envy is depicted as a man riding on a ravenous wolf, a man with cankered teeth, chewing on a venomous toad, poison running down his jaws, and hiding a deadly snake close to his chest. That is, while envy wishes harm and misfortune on others because of advantages that they enjoy, it ends up being like a corrosive disease that slowly destroys the envious person. So we've seen that envy then has an inherently self-destructive nature about it. That's what's being portrayed there. Uh, Hedges in his book, again, The Hit List, uh, shares an ancient Greek story about an athlete who has, uh, is envious of one of his rivals. So think ancient Greece, you know, maybe the days of the original Olympics. The rival was loved and esteemed by the crowds who had a statue built in his honor. Because of this athlete's deep envy towards this other esteemed and loved athlete, he makes a plan to go take this thing down. So he goes under the cover of night, night after night, he's chiseling away the, at, the, at the base of this statue. Until finally one night, of course, the statue falls. And what happens? It falls on him. It falls on him. He was a victim of his own envy. So again, brothers, just to, by way of application then, is there a self-destructive envy in your heart right now? that is slowly corroding your joy in the Lord? Is there someone in your life that it seems like you just can't stop being envious of? Or maybe it's not necessarily one particular person, but is it, is it an envy of the wicked, we could say, in general, like the psalmist of Psalm 73? They just seem to be always at ease, prospering in their wickedness, immune from consequence. Well, that envy, again, if left unchecked, if, if, left, if, if left to itself, if left unmortified, it will consume you. Let's look back at Psalm 73 now. There's something else about the envy of the wicked that we need to see here. Psalm 73, if you're still there. Look at verses 21 and 22. 21 and 22, when my soul was embittered, I was pricked in heart. I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. So we can see then this psalmist, he was like a brutish beast. And towards whom? Towards whom? Towards the Lord. Towards the Lord. He had forgotten God. He had forgotten God. He had forgotten that the Lord is just, that the Lord will repay, that vengeance is the Lord's. He had forgotten God. 
So I just need to ask again, have you been like an ignorant, brutish beast before the Lord because of your envy of the wicked? I remember doing a plumbing job for a, a guy lives on a hobby farm up sort of east of uh, Crossfield there. He's got about 20 head of cattle, and after the plumbing job, I walked out to his field with him. We were leaning against the fence, and some of his cows come walking by, and as they're walking right in front of us, they proceed to drop cow bombs right, right in front of our, our face as they're walking. Not just, just keep on going, right? No issues, no inhibitions. So he told me, he, he pointed to a, a, a snow and a cattle shelter. Or, or sorry, a snow and wind shelter that he had built for these cattle to protect them from the wind. He said if he doesn't get in there with his tractor every once in a while to clear out the manure, these cows will literally run out of headroom in these shelters. It just keeps on building up. These are, these are brutish, ignorant beasts. I remember thinking when, he's, when we were watching these cows, Man, people trying to give human rights to these beasts, they, they just need to go try to live with these cows for a while. Just go, just go jump in, in the cow pen with them and try to live with them. These, these, these brutish beasts living in their own filth. Right? That's what beasts are. Well, brothers, when we envy the wicked, according to Psalm 73, we are like brutish beasts in our ignorance before the Lord, before the face of God, when we forget God. When we forget God. So that's one of the fruits of envy. But ultimately, we need to address this. Where does envy, if left unchecked, ultimately take us? Look again, I think you've got the... the passes there, Galatians 5. Now the works of the flesh are evidence, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. We looked at that earlier. Now notice this, the end of the verse. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You will not inherit it. Or put differently, if the sin of envy is left unchecked, not dealt with, unmortified, unkilled in your life, and if, it, if it's something that increasingly characterizes your thoughts and actions, you will go to hell. You will go to hell. This is the end road for the fruit of envy. So what is envy's cure then? What is envy's cure? Well, I want to deal with, since we've been looking at Psalm 73, I want to wrap that up, and then I'm going to look at the other sort of manifestations of envy. Look again at Psalm 73. So the psalmist had come to the recognition that he had been like a brutish, ignorant beast before God. So put simply, he had forgotten God. We could say that his brutish beastliness was atheistic. It was atheistic. There's a term that the Puritans used to use. Stephen Sharnock used this term, practical atheism. Practical atheism. What did he mean by that? 
Sharnak said, quote, men may have atheistical hearts without atheistical heads. Men may have atheistical hearts without atheistical heads. So in other words, you can, you can give intellectual assent to God, right? In our circles here, we, our, our reform circle, yeah, we're, we're gonna give intellectual assent to God's sovereignty, of course, right? But what about, do you still have an atheistical heart? If you do, even if you don't have an atheistical head? It's a practical atheism. It doesn't, it, your, 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 your intellectual assent of God actually doesn't have a bearing on your everyday life. Look at Psalm 73 again, verse 16. This is, this is not a fun place to be, verse 16. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. In other words, the prosperity of the wicked, immune to consequence, all those things we've looked at. He's wearied by it all. But notice, and this is the key in this, in this whole psalm, verse 17, until. It seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. What is their end? Verse 18, truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. So the psalmist, to, to the, the cure for his brutish beastliness, was to go into the sanctuary of God. It was to go into the sanctuary of God. To remember that God is on his throne. God is just. God is holy. Vengeance is the Lord's. So let me just spell this out because we're allergic to this biblical truth here in the North American church, I would suggest. I just need to spell this out very, very clearly. The coming judgment of the wicked is supposed to be a comfort for God's people and a cure for our envy of the wicked. Let me say that again. This is something you, you talk to other people outside of North America, uh, other Christians, they get this. This isn't, they're not allergic to it. The coming judgment of the wicked is supposed to be a comfort for God's people and a cure for our envy of the wicked. This isn't just isolated Psalm 73 either. You can see it all over the place. Go home this afternoon and read Psalm 37. This truth is just all throughout the psalm. Just give you an example, Psalm 37, 1 and 2. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Why? For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. So the cure then for your practical atheism and mine, which leads to your envy of the wicked, is to remember God. Remember God. Go into his sanctuary. Go into his throne room. Justice will be served. But what about the other variety of envy then? That we've been looking at the other sort of poisonous fruit we can say the garden variety of envy the envy of others because of their gifts their possessions their better place in life uh, fill in the blank 
Well, we've just been reminded of God's holiness and justice, right? We saw earlier that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, Jeremiah 17, 9. That is your heart and mine outside of God's grace. We saw in Galatians 5 that envy left unchecked will send you to hell. So what's the cure here? Well, I want, to, I want us to flip to Galatians 5 now. I don't think you have all these verses on your hand. Oh, Galatians 5. We're going to sort of wrap up here. I'm going to start at verse 21. We've seen this list a couple times now. Galatians 5, verse 21. Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now notice this. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So what is the cure here? Well, there's a, there's a phrase there in verse 25 I just want to unpack a little bit. That's, that's that phrase those who belong to Christ Jesus. Those who belong to Christ Jesus. What does that mean? I was thinking about this as I prepared this this week. That's a, that's a fascinating statement to ponder. So can you ask yourself then, do you belong to Christ Jesus? Do you belong to him? In other words, are you his possession? His possession, and it's the work that he has done. He has made you his possession. That is, he has bore in his body on the tree the punishment. You're looking at justice, right? God is just. Jesus Christ, in making you his own, he has bore in his body on the tree your, the punishment for your sin of envy. That's what Jesus did there. So justice has been served for your envy on Christ. More than that, we can see from this verse that the old man with all his passions and envy has been crucified with him. And now you are free to walk in newness of life by the Spirit. And you must. You must. So just to unpack this just a little bit more, what, what exactly does it mean then to belong to Christ? Well, there's another verse in Philippians 3 that sheds some light here. You guys know the verse, many of you. Paul speaking in the fight of faith and the, of resurrection life to come, he says this, Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Philippians 3, verse 12. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That's an incredible thing to consider. One commentator puts it like this regarding Paul and his conversion experience on the Damascus Road. He says, quote, Christ laid hands on him, so to speak, forcefully arresting him and setting him on a new lifelong direction. 
So if you're a Christian here today, that's what Christ has done for you. He, he has broken in, into your experience. He's seen you in your pitiable state of pride and envy and hatred. He's broken into that experience and he's arrested you out of it. And he's made you his possession. This is the work that Christ has done. You didn't do it. Christ did it. Because Jesus Christ has made me his own, I press on to make him my own. So he saw you on your way to hell then. He chased you down. He stopped you in your tracks. And he set you on a different path that leads to eternal life. That's what Jesus has done in your life if you're a believer here today. You are his possession. Because of this, you're to press on in the faith. Now, it needs to be said, moreover, because you're a Christ's possession, everything that is his is yours. Just, I'm just going to rattle off some verses here. I think they might be on your handout. Just, just consider this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, Ephesians 1, 3. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, Colossians 2, 9. Or 1 Corinthians 3, 21-23. All things are yours, whether Paul or, or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. So brothers, how sad it is then when we, when we envy, when we belong to Christ. Everything is Christ's, and we are in Christ, therefore everything is ours. We inherit everything as we inherit him. And most importantly, we inherit him. I got one last quote here, and it's a little bit long. I want you guys to follow along, because this is Jonathan Edwards. You can see it at the bottom of your thing there. Jonathan Edwards, 18th century pastor, theologian. This is a little bit antiquated language, but let's try to, let's try to wrestle through this. Just considering the, the reality of disparity in this world. So he gives us a picture of heaven. This is from his famous ser sermon, Heaven is a World of Love. He says, quote, in heaven, there shall be no more remaining enmity or distaste or coldness or deadness of heart towards God and Christ. Not the least remainder of any principle of envy shall exist to be exercised toward angels or other beings who are superior in glory, nor shall there be aught, shall there be aught like contempt or slighting of those who are inferiors. Those that have a lower station in glory than others suffered no diminution of their own happiness by seeing others above them in glory. On the contrary, all the members of that blessed society rejoice in each other's happiness, for the love of benevolence is perfect in them all. Everyone has not only a sincere, but a perfect good will toward every other." End quote. So you see then, disparity is not the problem. Disparity is not the problem. One of the things that <laughs> Edwards is alluding to here is there will be disparity in heaven. There will be disparity in heaven. God is not a communist. He's not a communist. He's given every person different skill set, different giftings, different capacities. 
But because there will be no more envy, we will be able to rejoice in the blessings of each other as we look to God and His glory and, and honor and glorify Him. That's the picture of heaven that Everett's gives us. So to close then, if you're not a Christian here today, I just need to ask you then, what are you going to do about your envious heart? What are you going to do about your envious heart? Remember, we've, we've addressed this, this. The scriptures have addressed this. Your envious heart will send you to hell. Your envious heart will send you to hell. You will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So I just need to ask you then, is Jesus Christ, do you, do you sense Jesus Christ pursuing you? Remember Jesus hunting people down to make them his own. Do you sense that? But you, you need to yield to the Lord Jesus Christ and his authority over your life. What, don't you want to belong to the Savior of the world? Don't, don't you want, want, want to be his possession? Well, repent, therefore, of your envy and turn to him today. He will save you and set you on, he'll pluck you off of the path to hell and he'll put you on the path to heaven. So look to him today for Christians, Christian brothers here. Remember that you belong to Christ. Everything that is his is yours. Everything that you need is found in him. Everything that he blesses you with is for your good. Anything that you need that you don't have, you can ask him. Knowing this will free you to rejoice in the blessings of others and to be thankful to God for all his good gifts to you in Christ. Let's pray. So Heavenly Fathers, we've looked at this sin of envy. It has perhaps been uh, uh, a weighty topic to consider. Father, we are talking about uh, matters of eternal significance here. Matters of eternal destination, heaven or hell. Father, we've been reminded of uh, just the wickedness of our own hearts outside of your grace. But Father, as we see your grace in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior who uh, came not to seek and save, the, um, not, to, not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, the one who came to seek and to save the lost. Oh, Father, that you would do that work uh, in our midst here this morning, and that for the brothers who are your possession, that we would rejoice um, in, in all the blessings that are ours in Christ. For we pray these things in his name. Amen. Well, that was a great talk by uh, Ron. It was very encouraging and informative. We were all challenged, so we can get to uh, some of the questions that we have. So, first question I thought we might start with was, how should we address the envy we see in other fellow Christians? The, the same way you deal with any other sin when you see it in them. Um, I, think, I think first and foremost, Jesus' principle 
in Matthew 7, which Rob was really trying to help us address, right? You got to go be a logger for a while. You got to go pull the sand out of your own eye, the two by four that's sticking out of your own eye, and consider yourself before the Lord and the ways that you've been envious. But then, as a as a part of your Christian responsibility, as a member of the body of Christ, as one who desires the good of others, that they would grow in godliness, well, then there are going to be times when you're going to have to, uh, you are going to have to address envy. Uh, you're going to want to do it with, um, you know, maybe, maybe if you see this pattern in a person's life, you're just going to address say, hey, brother, I've seen, I've noticed that it seems to be that whenever somebody else receives a blessing from the Lord, you kind of, you kind of get bitter towards them, or, or maybe even bitter towards the Lord for it, and to call them out on it, and to bring them back into the very principles that Rob was uh, was pointing us to, namely all the blessings that we have in Christ. So first, deal with your own sin, and then uh, don't keep your mouth sealed. It's not kind to let other other brothers continue in in their sin. So call it out. That's good. Um, there's there's quite a few questions along the same line. So can envy ever be good? I mean, can you envy someone's godliness or say some fellow brother's good business practices uh, that are being successful in their, their business is the way you can uh, be envy and, and want to emulate those things in a good sense. Yeah, I got. Am I on up here? You should be. Can you guys hear me? Um, I mean, perhaps on one level, that that could be maybe a little bit semantics. I mean, you you want to look at how you're defining envy. I think the word envy. I think the word envy. Um, it it has negative connotations. So you could, you could say that you esteem or or you you look up to, you know, the the business owner, the, the wise, godly business owner or whatever it may be, right? And and he's probably just the wrong word there, I, I would think. It's it's different to learn from somebody and try and grow from them, but it, it's all focused on what are you looking to? Are you looking to their success? Or are you looking to faithfulness to the Lord? Right. And so that's, that's a big difference of saying, hey, this, this brother's an awesome, I want to rejoice in their success, I want to learn from them, but I want to be faithful in what, God, what God's called me to do, and my eyes towards him. Just figuring out the mics. Kind of on the back of that, so then if we have maybe in um, improper Maybe a true envious you see their you see their good uh, business practice, but maybe you're not happy for them, you're wishing it was you. Um, but they are still a fellow brother, they're not they're not one of the wicked, they're not envious of their their wickedness and their, their prosperous. So what's the cure for maybe envy towards the righteous? So i.e. envy someone's faith and humility, but in a bad way where, you know, they're maybe yeah. Truly jealous of it and, and angry towards them for it. Well, there might be a reason for 
way you're feeling. Namely, that you see somebody who's more godly than you. And as Rob was saying, that is one of the means the Lord would use to activate your own ambitions to pursue godliness yourself. Um, but again, just if you just do like a word search of envy in scriptures, you never see envy used as a positive, right? So envy is not the term um, that we're talking about there. Certainly, you're going to look to the examples of others and say, like, I aspire to be like that man, right? And Paul can say, follow me as I follow Christ. And so and that should be an ambition that we all have, is that we can say that to our kids, to younger, more immature believers, is that we want to be the kind of men who can say to others coming after us, following the Lord with us, follow me as I follow Christ. But that's, that's not envy, that's something. That's just Christian obedience. Yeah, and I was able to knock on that, just recognizing, again, we're, we're recognizing that the Lord is not only sovereign, but, he, but He's good and kind. He, he gives you everything that you need. So your station in life right now, your circumstance in life right now, if you're, if you're walking in repentance and faith, following Christ, Christ has made you His own, as it were. You, you actually have everything you need right now to honor God, to glorify Him, to walk in repentance and faith. Um, and if you see some, somebody else that has maybe more of something or whatever it might be, it, again, it comes back to asking the Lord to change your heart so that you can actually rejoice in that, in, in, even in that, what that person has that you don't, as, as they seek to honor God with, with, with their life. So it's, it's, it's really understanding that because you have a Heavenly Father, he, he, he gives you everything you need. So then it's, it's gratitude towards Him uh, because of that. So Pastor Rob had mentioned in his talk that we can start to be envious toward the wicked, yet that can be cured by reflect, reflecting on even God's sovereignty is, is ruling over the world and the coming judgment of the wicked. So this question is, where was Jonah's error? The story of Jonah with Jonah, you know, he was angry that God would save the Ninevites because they were so wicked. Um, so how do we balance that constant waiting for the coming judgment with the Great Commission? Well, what you see, I mean, Jonah was one example that came to my mind as Rob was talking there. I mean, you see that God is a God of justice, and in his holy love, he desire, He also desires that sinners would come to repentance, right? And it states right there, you want a definition of who God is. This is what, this is what God, this is who God reveals himself to be. A gracious God and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So if there's any men here today who think that they're too far gone, they've sinned too big of sins, they're too wicked for the Lord to save, well, you open the scriptures and you see this is who God is. He is a God who saves, who relents from disaster when people turn to Him. You turn to Him for salvation and He, he turns from his wrath against you. And that wrath has been laid on Christ, even as Rob uh, put. So God's heart is a heart for 
the wicked to be saved. And yet, in God's free sovereignty and providence, not every, every person is going to be saved. And so God is just, and it's right for him then to punish sinners in hell. But that's his, that's his work. That's not our work as Christians, right? Our work is, is not to take vengeance. I mean, there's a recognition in terms of civil government. They have a role in terms of a judicial aspect in, a, in an earthly sense to preserve law and order and stability in society. Um, but as Christians, we, we are ones who are waiting patiently for the day of the Lord, for the day of judgment. And on that day, the Lord will deal with every sinner in exactly uh, the, right, the right proportion to their sins. And, and they will get what they deserve. So I think Jonah's, Jonah's error there was that Jonah, in part, he lives with this entitlement mentality. Jonah has forgotten the gospel. He has forgotten the fact that just a few chapters earlier, he was the disobedient servant on the run. And he was heading for the depths of the sea, you know, just about to die. And the Lord spared him. The Lord brought him up basically from the grave in the, in the sea. Really this picture of what God does in salvation for everyone who calls out to him. But Jonah had forgotten all the Lord's grace to him. And then he wants, he wants judgment on his enemies. And that's precisely the point. Is the Lord saying, like, Jonah, you don't get it. You don't get it. You live with this entitlement mentality. And I think for all of us here, one of the doctrines that we need to recapture is the doctrine of hell. That is, God's just and right punishment that we, by nature, deserve. Every one of us, by nature, deserve eternal conscious torment in hell. And yet God, in Christ, has given us all these blessings. Forgiveness of sins, eternal life, we come to inherit the earth. All these things that Ra was, was unveiling for us from the scriptures. So when you recover the doctrine of hell, and when you recognize, this is what I deserve. And God, in his free grace, chose to pluck me from the grave. And has given me life, eternal life. Well, well then that begins to erode the kinds of uh, entitlement mentality that really bleeds into envy and bitterness and all these very destructive sins that rot me to the core. So recover the doctrine of hell, of God's judgment, not only as a comfort for the believer knowing that all things will be set right, but as a means to cultivate gratitude that I'm no longer under the Lord's judgment but I've been set free. Good. I'm just going to give a very practical example of what this can look like. So I actually had a conversation with a young man at church on Sunday, um, and we, we were talking about you know who, um, Justin Trudeau, and um, and I just asked him. I said, "When was the last time you prayed for him for his salvation?" And a smile sort of come up on his face because he realized hadn't been. So, and I can say, I mean, you guys know my thoughts about Trudeau. I alluded to it a little bit. <laughs> um, 
So the thing is, is I need to remember to pray for his salvation. We, 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 want, we want to see him become a vessel of mercy, if it's God's will. All the while, at the same time, I do pray that the Lord would remove him from office. So it's both. It's both ends. We, we want the, the Great Commission does not cancel out, sorry, does not cancel out um, God's justice. And, and it doesn't nullify the comfort that we get from God's justice. We'll just have uh, two more questions. So somebody had asked, um, elaborating exactly, you know, why envy in itself is sinful. But I think another question maybe will help you to the point, but more so on maybe the relationship between envy and thankfulness, or more so our unthankfulness. First Corinthians 4 7. Through C's anything, what do you have that you do not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? So if you, if you take a step back and start to unpeel everything that makes you you, your intellect, your vocation, where you were born, ultimately none of it was you. Right? We believe in the sovereignty of God. So God placed you born. Know, in, in this century, in the family you're in, in the place you're in, that's all God's grace to you. You didn't, you didn't earn it. That's a gift from God. And so, peeling that envy back then, that's really just ungratitude and pride, saying, I deserve better than what God's given me. And I'm, in fact, I'm not thankful for what God has given me. Right? So we don't want to compare either way. We want to just say, God, you've been merciful, gracious to me, and then good things. I mean, I think at the heart of envy, one of the great reasons why it's a sin is because it is a, it's an improper appraisal of God's freedom to do as He wills. Yeah. Right, so if we believe in the sovereignty of God, which the Bible is very clear about, that God is sovereign, He, he makes rich and He makes poor. Right, right in the scriptures. He makes rich and he makes poor. Well, then to be envious is to essentially say to him, you got that wrong. Right? It's, a, it's an act of unbelief, of questioning God's purposes and his plans. And so, uh, I think that's, that's one of the reasons why it's essentially, you know, this kind of high-handed sin, like, how dare you God do that? I deserve better, that person deserves worse, when the reality is we all deserve judgment. And the fact that you have every breath that you take and beyond that is a pure gift. Your last question that um, we'll go to before this morning. Are there any general steps that we can be reminded of or come back to when we are Faced with the envy of our heart, and might it be different uh, whether we're envious towards a Christian or a non Christian? As in how we deal with it.
Yeah, I mean, I think, again, it's, so I'm, I'm really glad Josh brought up the point that he just made, too. Um, that was something I, my talk was getting too long, and it's, it's, a, it's something that really needs to be recognized as well, just whatever you have, and, and what DJ shared as well from First Corinthians. Um, so it, again, it, it's, it's recognizing that, that you have a Father in Heaven who loves you and who gives you everything that you need. And also recognizing that if you don't have something, it's because in His perfect wisdom, He, he has seen fit either to not give it to you or withhold it to you for that time. So it really comes back to resting in His fatherly care for you. But, but then also the flip side, or maybe not the flip side, but again, just resting secure and satisfied in everything that, that God is for you in Christ. You have everything you need in Christ. Those verses that I mentioned from Ephesians 1, Colossians 2. Um, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In Christ, that's one of Paul's favorite phrases, right? In Christ. So just meditating on the riches that are yours in Christ, His perfect obedience that has been 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 credited and imputed to your account, so that you are secure in Him before the Father, and then His atoning death that that has paid the price for your sin, born the wrath of God against you, so that you're secure in Christ. It, I mean, to put, put it simply then, we could say it, it really comes back to your identity in Christ, who you are in Christ, and being content uh, in Him. I think in the church, you know, there's always a temptation to be envious, just even in terms of, um, of spiritual giftings that are distributed. According to God's free will, He distributes gifts according to His free will, and so some people have gifts that are going to be more, in terms of public exposure, they're going to be more prominent. And those gifts often come with stricter judgment, um, but it can be very tempting. I'd say, especially for young men aspiring to pastoral ministry, who come and look and say, "Well, how how come that guy gets to be up on? I'm a way better preacher than that." Right? And yet, again, it comes down to recognizing one, the Lord distributes gifts as He will. Maybe you do have that gift and you aspire to it, and, that, and that's fine. It's not wrong to have aspirations for certain things. But there has to also be, in the same breath, a, a, a willingness to wait for the Lord to raise you up at the right time. Right? So this is where part of it is, is waiting on the Lord, which is all over the Psalms. You know, we have to wait for the Lord to, to deal with our enemies. Sometimes we have to wait for the Lord to put us into positions that maybe we really desire. Um, and maybe some of those positions will never be fulfilled in this life. But even so, you still have all these blessings. So the giftings in the church, not to be envious of another brother's gifting and opportunities that the Lord puts them in in the church. Um, I mean, of course, we talked about you know financial position. Can you look at somebody else who, get, who gets a raise and you think... I work harder than them, or how can he get paid that much money? Um, we really got to be conscious of these things and recognize that, you know, maybe objectively 
It's true, that guy is actually not worth that much money. But for whatever reason, the Lord in his sovereignty decided to give him that much money, and he's got no responsibility to steward that for, um, for the sake of Christ's name. And, and so it comes with responsibility as well. And that's always the thing. It's like sometimes we think that we want these things, but then when you, you get you get more, it comes with more responsibility. Right? To whom much is given, much is required. And so same thing with pastors, right? Pastors can be very envious. Oh, I want the church of I'd love to have the church of a thousand people. And I've heard some pastors say, Yeah, on the final day though, you're gonna be glad that you had those hundred people to take care of because that'll be more than enough for you to give an account before the Lord on the day of judgment, right? So we all, it's kind of grass is greener on the other side. We think we don't think of that the extra weighty responsibility that comes with these um, extra privileges that are sometimes bestowed to us. So take that into consideration. Yeah, and I think off the back of that, I mean, you guys, most of you guys are gonna know this passage from 1 Corinthians 12, just the one body, many members, right? Again, recognizing um, for the body does not consist of one member, but many, which would say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not one in the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body, and so on, right? So again, recognizing the Lord's sovereignty in, 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 and his, his, his good purposes and plans for, for the bride of Christ in, in, in distributing gifts, in distributing body parts, as it were, and I would say, too, I mean, Paul actually argues in this passage that, um, verse 23, and those uh, parts of the body that we think less honorable, we must bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, and so on. So just recognizing, I mean, whatever you do, however you serve, I mean, it's even been said of, of pastors, you're preaching to an audience of one. You're preaching to an audience of one. To the, to the Lord. And and for however you're serving in your church, whatever giftings you've been given, you're doing it as unto the Lord. So the Lord sees when you're when you're scrubbing toilets, whatever it is, and you can do that to the glory of God. 